Robinson, Editor-in-Chief of Aerospace, and with me is Deputy Editor Steve Bridgewater and Features Editor Bella Richards. Hi everyone. Hey Welcome. Welcome to Aerospace No Town, another edition of our regular series of podcasts looking at global aviation, aerospace and space news and what we have upcoming in the next issue of Aerospace, December 2023. In the magazine we cover everything from GA to spaceflight, from airliners to airports, from air law to eVTOLs. Uh, so where have we been in the past month? Bella, you and I have been um, in the desert, haven't we? We have. I was at my first Dubai air show. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, really busy, and we did talk about it in our um, Dubai edition podcast. Yeah, we got a special podcast out for that, so uh, yes. do check that out. But did a lot, lot of news there, a lot of things. That so happened. much news, um, as expected, uh, and you know, we wrote a daily blog about it. Definitely check that out as well. But you know, lots of orders coming in, especially wide body orders. Um, and yeah, as as most people would know, Boeing definitely stole the show. Yeah. Um, you know, which is a bit of a change from previous years, or at least the last few years. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a really good time. What did you think, Tim? Yeah, well, I mean, they've got. A, uh, they're obviously, um, if you go to Dubai, you'll know that they are creating the future there. Uh, you know, uh, you, every time you go, there's new skyscrapers that spring up, and they are well in the forefront in terms of sustainability. <laughs> yeah. It's the year of sustainability there. COP28 is happening as we speak, mm-hmm. uh, and also advanced air mobility. So they're looking to get air taxi services out by 2026. So a lot yeah. of activity around there, uh, and also. Um, it's kind of a melting pot there of things you wouldn't see elsewhere, like mm. uh, a Russian Ka-52 uh, there on, on display. The Russians are there. Uh, one of the, the, the air shows they're allowed to go to these days. Mm. Uh, and also uh, India's TJAS and JF-17 on the same billing. Uh, so that was uh, really interesting. It's not the first time ever they've been on the same so, billing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and for me, this, the big scene stealer was uh, Boeing f fifteen Q A, which was uh, they just they just uh, eagle uh, there, completely stripped down with fly by wire, which was just uh, yeah, absolutely phenomenal yeah. on the air display for a fifty plus year old aeroplane. You know, yeah. it's I, I know it's got new systems and bigger engines, and but it's you know what an impressive thing for such a big aeroplane yeah. to do. Yeah. Uh, so Steve, you were you were uh, you were holding the fall back here, but you were, you were also <laughs> comparing a, a a night of film extravaganza, I believe. We did. We had our um, oh, it was great. We had our Battle of Britain film night. So, uh, nineteen sixty nine film Battle of Britain, um, iconic film, but the opportunity to see it on the big screen here at Four Hamilton Place at Royal Aeronautical Society. Um, good audience. And we had Dr. Sarah Louise Miller here. Um, See, she's written various books and appeared in various TV shows, her speciality being women in the Royal Air Force, uh, particularly during World War II. So we had a Q&A with Sarah afterwards, which was interesting. So talking about uh, Susanna York's character in the yeah. film, so Maggie, um, was an accurate representation of the WAF in World War II. And I think there's that, that very famous scene where the hangar gets blown up at Duxford. And um, Maggie turns around and says, don't you shout at me, Mr. Warwick, or don't you yell at me, Mr. Warwick. And that's just after she's seen the lineup of, of dead bodies of her female yeah, colleagues. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was discussed about how this was probably the first time that 
women had really been exposed to, mm. to death on that, uh, on, that, the that on the front line. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, great to listen to watch the film. Yeah, lots of people there naming the next line, as I'm sure Tim, you, you and I would be doing exactly the same. Um, but a lot of, I asked for a show of hands at the start as to how many people had seen the film on the big screen, and it was probably less than half of the people. Wow. And we got a good sort of sixty or seventy yeah. people there had never seen it on the big screen. You know, you're used to watching it on a Sunday afternoon on 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 TV or maybe on on DVD or streaming, but see it on the big screen was a real treat yeah, yeah and hopefully we've got more more of those Aero Society late film nights in the in the pipeline people seem to be really keen on them and so we've, we've asked for suggestions for films that people would like to see um, so we'll um, I think we'll get to more in the schedule for, for 2024 okay uh, and also this week at the Society we've just had uh, a <coughs> by design conference uh, yesterday on on contrail management uh, so I, I popped my head in, uh, into that uh, uh, very interesting stuff. Seems to be a lot of momentum gathering on uh, contrails. The science seems to be uh, kind of firming up on this is a, a quick win for aviation to cut its uh, its uh, not just carbon e emissions but to uh, make it cut its, its impact on the environment. Um, and um, as you're writing about in the, in the, in the magazine, aren't you, uh, Steve? Is that the, you know in the US there's now a big traction there with with NASA. There is, yeah. We'll we'll come onto that in a bit. But the Eco Demonstrator project is really really get into this at the moment. Yeah, and we've had a bit of social uh, social world, haven't we, uh, as well? Yeah, uh, Tim, you and I went to the Honourable Company of Air Pilots Trophies and Awards dinner. Um, so I'm um, a liveryman of the what used to be GAPAM, the Guild of Air Pilots and Air Navigators, now the Honourable Company of Air Pilots. Uh, so it's our annual Trophies and Awards banquet. So one of those evenings where the hairs on the back of your neck stand on end when you, you listen to the citations of the people that have won these awards, particularly the Helicopter Bravery Awards. People, people clipping rescue uh, cables together to winch somebody off a you know, kind of uh, yachts at sea. Well, yeah, you've got a room there of, what, 600, 700 yeah, aviators or people involved in the aviation industry. And there's a standing ovation for a lot of these awards just for this the, the sheer bravery. So yeah, incredible. Uh, and then last weekend, just gone, I was at the Airability Ball, um, which is um, so Airability, a uh, charity that we work with here at the uh, Royal Aeronautical Society with our Falcon 2 project. Um, it's the uh, 30th anniversary of the charity this year. So wow. every year they have the Aviators Ball at the end of the end of the season. So we do lots of uh, black tie events in this industry. Normally quite straight laced, the airability ball is far the opposite. It's really? a good end of the season opportunity to let your hair down and have a party. <laughs> so, uh, and in the process, they raised one hundred and thirty thousand pounds on the night wow. in the auction to, uh, to to fund the charity through twenty twenty four. So yeah, a great great event and yeah, good company. Excellent. Okay, so a news roundup then, looking at what's been happening in the in the previous month. Let's start off with you, uh, Bella. Mm. Um, what's what's caught your eye? <coughs> well. <laughs> it's been a big month, but definitely uh, the most exciting thing was SpaceX's Starship second launch. Yeah. Um, I'm sure everyone has been anticipating it for such a long time. Well, a long time in the, uh, essentially, but a short time in the grand scheme of space launch. Often things take so much longer to relaunch after, you know, having kind of a, not a failure, but something so big happening in April. Um, and to see... Uh, SpaceX be able to launch again only however man many months after I'm not going to count but <laughs> that many months after and uh, you know even though they didn't meet all their objectives it was such a big success um, ultimately uh, you know the successful firing of all 33 Raptor engines it was so cool I was watching it on uh, on my TV and just seeing all the engines work was 
I was like, yay, like I was so excited. And you know, hot staging and separation. And obviously I, I believe, you know, it reached pretty much the beginning of space. And then obviously the automated um, abort system. Um, but you know, I, I think SpaceX achieved so many of their objectives and um, yeah, it was just, a, it was a really, really great success. And I know a lot of, a lot of big um, mainstream media have said, you know, big failure again, but if you're in the industry, you know that launching such a huge <laughs> vehicle that what they achieved was, you know, a big success and it's only their second test. And they didn't destroy the launch pad. Exactly. Well, I mean, that was the biggest thing. That's, <laughs> that's striking for me is how, how quickly they repaired what was, I mean, if you looked at the damage from, yeah. from, from April, yeah. there was this massive crater. Yeah. And you're exactly. looking at that going, that's, that's, that's. So clearly the, <laughs> the, there's no, a pothole on my road that's been there for at least 18 months. I can tell you, you know, we need to get SpaceX yeah, yeah. to fix the pothole <laughs> if they're that good. Yeah, no, clearly the water <laughs> system yeah. worked really well and yeah. you know everything that they uh did in the months prior uh, clearly worked which which was you know such a success for them um but yeah it was really exciting to see and i'm curious to see how quick it'll be for a lot of people on twitter are saying they reckon the third launch will be february which you know obviously that's not confirmed or anything but um yeah it was, it was amazing news brilliant okay what about you steve What's your guess? What I'm going to go for a general aviation story. Oh, so that's right. a trend. Really? <laughs> Helicopters this time. Um, oh, okay. California-based company called Skyrise have done the first automated auto rotation. Now, done a bit of helicopter flying over my time. Never had a helicopter license, but flown with a variety of friends. And it really is like patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. Yeah. I mean, coordination <laughs> involved. So to have a system, yeah, they call it their flight OS system. And uh, they've, they've had it on a Robinson R66, which is the turbine version of the of the, um, the R22, R44 family, Robinson family. Um, so this system will detect an engine failure, then it automatically lowers the pitch, aligns the nose into wind, picks somewhere to land, mm. manages the stability, completes the flare, and then lands in exactly where you want it to land. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, an auto rotation is the most complex bit. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, this is what happens when a, a, an engine fails yeah. on a helicopter. So you're coming down effectively freewheeling under the rotor blade to the last minute, and you pull a collective and, and flare. This is a, this this is a real game changer for for, for aviation, for the rotary winged aviation. I mean, it's, it's interesting also that, that um, you know Airbus were working on that for their flight lab thing yeah. as well is soft single single uh, single control yeah. uh, and a pad almost sort of de-skilling the rotary wing. Uh, kind of experience and, and obviously you know autopilot stability systems fly, uh, fly by wire stuff is getting smaller and smaller these days yeah. uh, and, and you know and the beauty of this is it's such a small system that they're going to look at putting uh, an STC so supplementary type certificate on various aircraft so rather than just being available on new aircraft the intention is that you'll be able to put an STC to put it on existing oh, airframes so um, you know bringing the latest technology even into older airframes so I think that's, that for me is, is big big news that's a real game changer yeah do you want to know my, my news go on all right okay so um well we had a, we had a bit of a, a transatlantic uh race for the first sat flight across mm. the uh, across the atlantic often nobody knew it was a race did we well <laughs> nobody knew it was a race it was supposed to be uh, as we go to to uh, as we record this um virgin atlantic is going to be flying on 28th of november as part of the uk sort of jet zero uh, challenge to to fly first to uh, like 100 uh, sat uh, from the UK to New York, mm. and a Gulfstream have gone there and, and picked them to the post. Nineteenth uh, of, uh, of November, they flew a, a G six hundred Bizjet mm. yeah. from Savannah to Farnborough, hundred yeah. percent. 
Um, so, uh, so interestingly, you know, kind of, um, obviously, some people say somewhere sort of tearing their hair out. Stolen their thunder a little bit, that hasn't um, it? Yeah. Uh, you know, great achievement uh, anyway, uh, and I wonder whether whether there's still, um, you know, whether there's still sort of like, well, is that the I mean, I suppose first airliner, you can yeah. still class yeah. as the first airliner it's, to, to, it's, to it's fly. It's obviously bigger. It? It's flying for the masses rather <laughs> yeah. than for the business jet. Exactly, so it? it is different, but it's... Yeah, yeah. so, uh, so a, a little bit of an interesting kind of uh, one-up rivalry there between yeah. uh, Gulfstream and, and, uh, and, and Virgin. Uh, yeah, what else have we got? What about you, Bella? Yeah, um, uh, to to move away a little bit from space, um, Archer Aviation's first yep. uh, midnight prototype um, took flight for the first time in California uh, in on 25th of October, which was really exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, it followed kind of two years of full-scale testing with uh, the Maker airframe. Um, and then I believe they're going to be, you know, they're hoping to start flight, air taxi flights in 2025, right? Something like that, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, initial use is going to be for kind of smaller flights, but you know. So, and uh, they. I mean, there was also recent uh, tests at New York, wasn't we? Had we saw Joby and yeah. Volocopter yep. doing sort of flight, flight, flight tests, so flight taxi tests, and, and stuff. And so it's coming along. But having said that, there was an interesting thing in the news about uh, Paris. Yes, uh, Paris the Parisians have said no. Yes, so that's the city. Absurd, council. they said. Yeah, absurd. And they also took a took a swipe at the uh, the sustainability angle of it, yep. saying that this is they're using too much energy, and uh, and this is. So this is the, this is trial uh, EV tolls for the 2024 Olympics. Obviously, yeah. it was a, it's a it's a big uh, would be a big sort of milestone, yeah. a lot of national prestige yeah. sitting. And, and now there's this been almost like you know, a cross party consensus. The city council said, "No, you're not having to." Mm-hmm. So uh, watch this space, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I remember, and we we were talking obviously at Paris Air Show this year about the the Paris Olympics coming up next year, and Volocopter were there, and I remember one of the press conferences they were saying that these flights were going to be subsidised to uh, enable people to fly in and out of the Olympics and at that point there was no details on price or what the subsidy is but the subsidised price of these flights is still 110 euros really so it's it's still you know a, a, a fair chunk of cash mm-hmm. um, so it makes you wonder what the true operating costs of these are and what the subsidy in place is going to be mm-hmm. um, and obviously you know the Parisian uh, mayor and, and the team have, have, have expressed their reserves, but it still goes with the, um, I think it's Secretary of State for Transport or the French equivalent yeah. has still got the, the yes-no decision. So it's it's certainly not not going to happen yet, but we'll, um, But it's certainly not a vote of confidence, is it? Yeah, so watch the space. Uh, Steve, any other news? Yeah, I've got a couple of other things. Um, interesting news in the States, most likely we've... Um, touched on over the last couple of issues about um, a couple of high-profile incidents with airliners um, with um, which have been linked to pilot mental health. Yeah. Uh, there was the Alaska Airlines pilot um, who um, actually, uh, tried to activate the fire suppression system on, a, uh, on an Embraer and then the following week there was a Delta Airlines pilot who allegedly threatened to shoot his captain over a medical diversion. We don't know the details on that at the moment whether it yeah it was a, a case that he wanted to do the diversion or not but both of these have been linked to, to pilot mental health and there's always been a stigma yeah. um, against mental health in society in general but particularly within the aviation world so the FAA has now announced what it refers to as a pilot mental health aviation rulemaking committee um, to address the issue and it's going to look at 
uh, providing recommendations to ha- how best to break down the barriers that prevent pilots from reporting this mental health yeah. uh, issues. So um, I think that's a, a, a big landmark decision. I think so. And I think it's, it's good that the FAA are doing this. Yeah. And I think it's it, perhaps something now that we need to look at it, well, implementing it, around the world. It's, it's, it's good that there wasn't any, that uh, these, these two incidents weren't, didn't result in any casualties or yep. any, anything like that. Because mm-hmm. obviously we, we go back, we think back, back to German, German wings, exactly. Um, and that got a lot of uh, high profile, um, you know, attention. And hopefully this is a, another little bit of a, 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 a job to kind of address this issue. Yeah, so, like, pilots have such a weird, not weird job, obviously it's a cool job, but you know, in terms of hours and, and going everywhere, you know, they, they mental health is, is important for everyone, but for specifically such a, um, I guess unique job uh, was such a sense of responsibility attached exactly. to it, which carries yeah. the, it stresses in itself, exactly. doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah okay. So, uh, what, anything else from you, Tim? Uh, well, we've got the uh, we've got the the first flight of Airbus's extra performance wing demonstrator. Yeah. Mm. And that's uh, that is a converted Cessna Citation uh, that uh, that flew uh, from uh, Toulouse on 6th of November. So this yeah. is going to be converted. and It's going to be put on the advanced uh, the wing that they've got on. It's got the flappy flappy wing tips, aeroelastic, really really advanced, really hyper efficient. Uh, it's going to be fitted with that uh, in 2024. But what they're doing now is they're going to fly and they're going to baseline the, the kind of aerodynamics uh, before, ahead of flight in 2025. Um, so interesting enough, this is going to be flown remotely. Yeah. They're yeah. Not, they're not part, so they're going to really pushing the edge, edges of the envelope here in, in how how far you can sort of take this thing. And it's using biomimicry, isn't it? It's taking its cues yeah. from nature. Yeah. yeah. If you think of the way the birds wing. I mean, I was at Oshkosh, I think, around 2003, and there was an F- NASA got an F-18 there with an aeroelastic wing. Oh, so yeah. that was, yeah, and of course, it was, in fact, it was 2003 because it was a centenary of flight. So we were going back to the Wright brothers with their wing warping. Um, so the two, you know, the, 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 the synergy was there. But it's interesting that Airbus are now following this as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I was down earlier this year at Airbus's wing of the future facility down at Filton where I saw some of this being worked on. It's, it's just fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. Game changing, yeah. Uh, you've got another space story, Bella? As always. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're just a little bit spacey, aren't you? Uh, just a little bit. <laughs> no, um, Sierra Space, they delivered their first Dream Chaser space plane to NASA, um, and it's, you know, get, getting prepared for its uh, first trip to the ISS, which would be really cool. And it's a, it's, you know, set to be a commercial runway capable space plane. So it'll, it'll launch off a rocket, but then be able to kind of glide back to any runway landing. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited for this because, I mean, just in general, space planes are awesome. But I think it's good that NASA uh, is looking at multiple ways that, you know, people can bring uh, cargo to the ISS and back. Just, you know, with everything happened with Russia, it's just important to have more options. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess the interesting thing is it's supposed to launch as early as uh, April 2024, which if you're keeping up to date with Boeing Starliner, that's also supposed to supposed to launch in april 2024 mm. um i guess we'll see with that uh with everything happening but um you know dream chaser is a really cool spacecraft and it's a cool name as well it is a great <laughs> name i think um and yeah i mean i think they previously had plans to uh deliver you know, people to the iss and i think that might be a thing in the future but for now they're you know testing it on cargo to see how it works and yeah um i'm really hoping they are able to launch soon april will be great I mean, one thing that strikes me as well as with uh, with uh, you know, kind of logistics the ISS or use of Cape Canaveral is how 
um, how the, the kind of launch slots are constrained because yeah. you know you, you want to move a rocket on there. Yeah. Somebody else has to launch first <coughs> or move that rocket back. You know, and, and there's a lot of kind of seems a lot of like juggling of pads and, and, and yeah. uh, availability and oh well, so and so hasn't quite launched, so you're not in the. You know, you can't just kind of rock up there and rock it and go. Yeah. When can you fit me in? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, we had another uh, first flight, uh, Steve. So yeah, the B twenty one Raider. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. something that we reported on the, the rollout just before Christmas yeah. last year, wasn't it? So yeah. December last year. So, in less than a year, they've gone from rollout to first flight. Yeah. The airplane flew on the tenth of November. Interestingly, called Cerberus. If uh, you look at the uh, the footage which has appeared online, it's got the name Cerberus written on the um, the nose wheeled gear door. Cerberus, my, my, my um, classics teacher, he'll be, he'll be listening to this, he's a friend on Facebook, and my, my Latin master. Cerberus, the three-headed hound of Hades, uh, guarded the gates of the underworld to escape the, to prevent the dead from escaping. What right. a good wow. again. confused and, as to why it's called that. It, just because it's a very cool name. Yes, I, I guess it comes down to that. Let's not overanalyze things. I think it's a very cool name. And, um, so the, the Air, United States Air Force plan on getting 100 of these B-21s, and they've now named Ellsworth Air Force Base as going to be the first base that's going to receive the aircraft. But interesting that the airplane has progressed so quickly, so seems to be on schedule, mm. seems to be on budget. A success story by all accounts yeah. so far. And, and well, I mean, the, the pictures there that were, were, were obviously there's people there stalking the yep. uh, stalking the, uh, the the takeoff and the threshold and some some excellent pictures, especially the underside of it and showing how. Um, you know, sleek, uh, shaped it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody said it was a shrink, basically a shrink wrapped. You know, there's there's there's, there's volume inside of it, but it was almost like you, you put it into something like yes, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and just just complete kind of curves everywhere, it just except over the over the the uh, landing gear and the kind of bomb bay. Yeah. Now, in fact, I think there was someone speculating there was, there was more than one bomb bay and there was something else for for maybe a loyal wingman or yeah. adjuncts or collaborative combat aircraft or other things to come out of it. So yeah, really exciting project. Uh, my final thing for this one is, uh, so we had a bit of, bit of uh, two stories there from uh, from the UK with uh, drones uh, or General Atomics drones. So we had uh, Project Mojave, uh, which was flying a stall version of the Gregel of HMS Prince of Wales off the uh, east mm -hmm. coast of the US. Uh, so that is a, uh, it's basically like a, you know, a predator, a reaper, whatever, whatever you, you, you uh, reaper family, uh, but with really short wings and mm -hmm. stall capability, and that was landing on the carrier for the first, so it's the biggest, um, biggest uh, UA, fixing UAV that's been operated off a uh, non-US carrier, uh, and it gives, you know, obviously they're, they're looking at this, what can it do, uh, so real sort of a milestone for the Royal Navy. And then there's about the same day or the same week, uh, Protector flew in, in, in the UK from, from, from Waddington. Waddington. Yeah. Uh, so that's the RF's new, uh, new UOV, basically Reaper, double the endurance, and it can fly in controlled airspace. That's that's the real yeah. difference, isn't it? So that's the real thing there. there. So, so uh, yeah, two, well, two big milestones the, there. The thing with Mojave that struck me, I saw somebody comment on social media about it, and you don't quite comprehend how big this thing is that's landing you know, as a, an uncrewed vehicle landing on the deck until someone pointed out it's roughly the same size as a fairy gannet. 
and and like that is that for me was the real eye-opening moments. That really is that is a big big machine, isn't it? The new the new uh, the new barracuda or the new uh, the new uh, swordfish. Yeah, indeed. yeah. <laughs> put, a, put a torpedo on it and let it loose. Well, wow. right. So moving to uh, that's the news covered with. What have we got coming up in the December issue? Um, Bella, do you want to start us off? Yeah, of course. Um, there's a lot of. I was actually thinking when we were reading through the issue, I was like, wow, this is a great issue coming up. And that's a shameless plug, but it really is. It's a, there's a lot of really we good like articles. shameless plugs here. Yeah, we do. Um, yeah, so the first one I'll mention is, I'll just say it quickly, but um, my own Artemis uh, 2 article, it has been on the blog, um, but it's, you know, it's obviously focused on how the astronauts for the upcoming launch next year uh, visited Germany uh, to see the European service module. Um, and it's a bit more of a technical angle, uh, the one in the magazine, uh, but just kind of focusing on how it's different from its predecessor, the ATV, and, you know, how it's going to power the spacecraft uh, to the moon. So, yeah, that's uh, my Artemis one. But uh, another one that I really loved reading was about India's airline growth. Yeah. Um, I thought that was such an interesting story just because I probably don't read enough about Indian uh, aviation. But... I thought it was really interesting. They've, you know, seen an annual growth of over 33% uh, in terms of domestic airline. Um, and I thought that was incredible. And, you know, yeah, the author even said this number could have been higher, but, you know, with 45 um, of Indigo's aircraft grounded due to Pratt & Whitney's engine issues, you know, but it's, it's cool to see um, India having such growth, especially, you know, not so soon after the pandemic, but it's always just a good news story seeing nations really get back on their feet. Um, and yeah, and the article mostly just looks at all of the airlines, uh, what they're going through now, kind of all the aircraft that they're uh, taking on. And then I guess some of the, the things that they're struggling with, such as, you know, the pilot shortage, oh, which, sure, you know, yeah. is a, an international... That's the big stumbling block, isn't it? Exactly. Um, but, you know, it's a really great article just kind of encapsulating everything going on with India right now and uh, their, you know, aviation market. Um, but ultimately, I think it's a success story. Yeah, and I, think, I think there is a slight, uh, a slight sense as well of... of um, not the shine coming off uh, air travel a bit in India, but they, uh, you know, millions of people have never flown, you know, in, yeah. in India. So, so you've still got, you know, there's still the, the novelty there. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that, that some of the some of the practices that we perhaps associate with the low cost carriers in, in the UK and the US, so you have to pay extra, it's, mm-hmm. it's working its way into the Indian market yeah. now mm-hmm. of, all oh, right, you've got to pay for this, you've got to pay for that, oh, you know, these are series that kind of get bolted on. Yes. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was interesting, was it Indigo that had also got a wide body long haul airline for the first time were, as well? Yeah, they were, so, they, were, yeah. they were testing it out yeah. as well, yeah. What about you, Steve? What's your pick? Um, I'm going to go with um, one of my articles, actually, um, which was on the Boeing Eco Demonstrator, mm. um, which is the aeroplane we've got on the front cover of this issue as well. Um, I went out to um, Charleston, South Carolina, earlier this year. As part of that trip, met up with the Eco Demonstrator team who'd got the latest um, Dreamliner they were just about to put into service. Um, and that aircraft has been working on something called MRTBO, which is multi-regional trajectory-based operations. And this is effectively a joined-up system of navigating your way around the world and um, between different providers, air traffic providers and services around the world. So it's um, 
effectively passing messages ahead so that you don't have any delays trans trans from from area to area. Right. And again, it's those little incremental differences yeah. which make it make a big difference. Uh, but uh, the the reason we've run this article right now is it coincides with the latest eco demonstrators. So Boeing over the years, this is their uh, their eleventh eco demonstrator, wow. um, but they've now got a. a um, as well as their main aircraft, they've got eco-demonstrator explorers. And the idea of the explorer is it can be for a shorter amount of time for a more dedicated, yeah, just a week's trial doing a particular project. So they currently have a 737, which is destined for United. And uh, they're using that for SAF contrail trials. Yeah. So uh, as you said earlier to, to our Greener by Design conference and looking at contrails, the, uh, the what NASA, um, Boeing and NASA have been doing with this aeroplane is they've had conventional aviation fuel in one engine, they've had sustainable aviation fuel in the other, and they've been flying behind it with NASA's DC-8, yeah. um, so the airborne laboratory, and effectively sniffing the air, looking at the, the soot yeah. particles coming out of the two engines and comparing the two, so a real, a proper real-world evaluation. Yeah. So we've looked at that, we've looked at the MRTBO, and also just the history of what Eco Demonstrator has done. So we spoke to Ray Lutters, um, she's program manager on the Eco Demonstrator, and um, incredibly proud of the outreach that the aircraft has had over the, the last sort of decade and a half, and the things that it's done. And, and in her words, yeah, really the biggest technological developments that it's promoted, apart from SAF, yeah. is the winglets. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we, we see these now funky winglets on the 737 MAX. They came off the Eco Demonstrator project. Scimitar went with it. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that you kind of touched on, you know, the history of, you know, what this eco demonstrator has been able to do for aviation today. I thought, wow, I didn't even know some of those things, you know, came from that. So it was... Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's been such a long running project and, mm -hmm. you know, Boeing have invested in it year on year with different aircraft. And uh, so they, they have their, um, their Travel 7 at the moment, which is the standard eco demonstrator. And this year alone, they've had two different explorers. So yeah. they've had a 787 and they've had the, which was doing the MRTBO and they've had the 737 for the, the, the SAF sniffing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. So we've got on the on the defence side of the thing, we've got a couple, a couple of great articles coming up in uh, December. Uh, we've got something on uh, from uh, Bill Sweetman. Uh, some of our listeners might recognise the name as one of the, uh, the top uh, uh, aviation journalists writing about stealth uh, secret projects, and uh, he's got an in-depth dive about next generation air dominance, which is the the US. And I hesitate to call it sixth generation because they're, they're, they're doing away with the idea of fifth, sixth generation, but it's basically their, their new uh, long-range, big fighter, mm -hmm. stroke combat aircraft. Uh, really interesting deep dive from Bill uh, on, on this and how you know it might not even be maneuverable like we expect a fighter to be. You know, mm. it's, it's, it's designed to get in the enemy's airspace, stay in there, do stuff, uh, and not get shot down, but but on these long distances. So uh, they're even looking at things like reclining ejections. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. really interesting. With uh, <laughs> with biosensors. Yeah. So yeah. the idea the pilots going to you know pilots are going to be in there for you know a bit of a, a, bit of a time <laughs> if you're thinking about reclining ejection seats. Uh, but but the the whole idea that the US is looking at is there is. Uh, F-22 is, is too short-ranged, you know, for, for, yep. for, for Indo-Pacific, what they're looking at, F, you know, F-35 the same. Tankers are vulnerable. 
how do we get in and get out and, and do stuff uh, and, and get his way forward. So really interesting thing from him. Uh, and then also, I'm going to quickly go to um, uh, the next one, which is uh, obviously um, some people might have seen a story about killer drones that yeah. went viral oh, yeah. this year um, <laughs> from the Aeronautical Society. And we've got the uh, we've got Colonel Tucker Cinco Hamilton, who's the head of USAF flight test uh, in the magazine, uh, and talking about killer drones, uh, but to elevate your understanding, you know, um, basically. AI is a tool like anything else. Understand it, uh, play with it, don't fear it, but don't hype it up either. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was such a thoughtful piece. Yeah. Really like sobering and, and quite balanced. Like, <coughs> yeah. You know. um, and, and, and his point is that there's, uh, you know, he, he draws a, a parallel between the introduction of auto GCAS on the F 16, and, and there was a resistance to that. People were like, oh no, you can't work, you know, and it's not just saving lives. Yes. It's yeah. an auto system. So uh, as soon as you understand these things, you understand the limitations, you, you play with them, you, you find the boundaries, uh, you know, the, the kind of, the mystique and the hype kind of goes away. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, well, just on the on the um, Cinco's article, that is also online as a blog. So it even is, if yeah. you're not a member of the Aeronautical Society and you yeah. don't get our magazine, first question, why not? But if you don't, <laughs> you can actually read this blog yeah. free of charge. So if you go to aerospace.com, look for our Insight blog. You can read um, yeah. Cinco's well, article on there. Well, really, it is really well worth an uh, worth a read. Um, I'm going to talk about an article which was written by uh, Professor Dame Helen Atkinson yeah. um, and her colleague Adrian Cole from uh, Cranfield University, yeah. um, looking at the flight path to scalable advanced air mobility. Now, this was based on a presentation that uh, uh, Dame Helen gave at our Future Flight Conference mm-hmm. earlier this year, and just looking at the big picture, the, you know, yeah. the, the barriers, the enablers that are in place at the moment. So looking at the demand... Um, you know, looking at regulatory management, yeah, some of the things that we've touched on previously, but in more detail. So the the, the need for MRO, maintenance, repair, and overhaul. Where are we going to get the pilots from? Just a, a very good thought piece, I think, on yeah. where we stand. And again, fits in well with what we're saying about Paris and the um, yeah the, the the perhaps anti feeling from some people towards the sector. Well, I mean, the standout thing from that was I think she said there was uh, was it eight hundred and fifty. 850 EVTOL projects or advanced air mobility projects worldwide. I cannot believe it's that big. Yeah, Yeah. well, that's... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do believe it, but you know. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty interesting. What about you? Yeah, I'm kind of going off the, you know, sustainability talk. Um, Professor Keith Hayward's uh, Net Zero 2050, A Target Too Far article. I thought it was really a really good article, kind of talking about where we're at with sustainability now when we're... 26 years away from you know the targets that we've set you know or the industry is basically saying by i guess between 2030 2050 um you know we need to be reaching net zero targets but we're 26 years away from that and where are we um and i thought it was a really good article because he pretty much you know talked about here are the options that we're looking into you know saf electric hybrid hydrogen all of the things that you know we all know pretty well from you know, absolutely every company investing into it. And kind of, if we're even gonna reach that, if just kind of looking at the pros and cons so far um, and the companies doing the most and who even would be doing these things, you know, we've got Airbus, Boeing, but um, who else would be kind of fueling these sustainable approaches? Um, And, you know, he kind of commented on uh, which, you know, the former CEO, of Qatar Airways, um, how, you know, he said, <laughs> these goals are a PR stunt 
and as, as much as you know you can agree or not uh kind of just saying this is where we're at and to to an extent it's true there there's so many ambitious plans that who knows if we're going to get there in 26 years but there's also a lot happening and a lot of investment and it's good to know what's happening and so this article kind of encapsulates all that yeah really good highlight summary it's interesting what you just said there about 26 years 2050 is only 26 years away it's insane and yeah it's you, you put it's it terrifying. in context like that yeah um, so yeah, it, it sounds so far and futuristic. Like twenty fifty, wow, easy, we're going to get there. But that's twenty six years away. That's nothing. No, not at all. Mm. Um, and I, again, I, I think it's a very interesting piece by Keith and, yeah. and yeah. quite provocative. But I think um, there's a place for for that. Yeah. Like, uh, I think yeah. we need that. Otherwise, change won't happen. You know, we need that. But exactly. also, who who pays yeah. for, the, for the billions or, or possibly trillion needed for decarbonisation? And a customer's ready to pay the price because yeah. you know customers want that. They want that sustainability, but. Are they ready to pay the... Well, everyone, I mean, lip service. I mean, there is a time, I mean, I've been at conferences where, um, you know, the airlines have been there and people have sort of said, you know, sustainability, sustainability, we hear about it all the time. And then when you get down to the, you know, you, you get down to the passenger booking form or the ticket and mm-hmm. it said, do you, want a, do you want a carbon offset this flight? No. no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's very little take up. Well, interesting, I was at a lecture um, Sunday night just gone by Simon Reeve, the explorer Simon Reeve, and he's from various TV programs walking around various places in the world. He's got a new series coming up called Wilderness, which will be on the BBC in the new year, and he was talking about the filming of that. And um, he actually made the point that he said it's vital that we keep flying. Mm. What a strange comment for a conservationist to say. He (laughs) said, because we need people to visit the rainforest. We need people to visit all of these amazing places around the world because if people don't visit them, well, there's no reason for them to be there. That's they'll, so get, true. they'll get the, yeah. the trees yeah. will get chopped down and logged. You know, so we need tourism. Yeah. So aviation is yes, we've got to travel sustainably, but it is vital that we keep flying. And Absolutely. I thought that again is a, a really refreshing message to get across. Especially when people in this day and age are saying, you know, stop flying. That's that's the answer. It's not the answer. No, it's no, not no. at all. No. <laughs> family and friends as well yeah yeah uh so right well that that sort of that's the features for uh for uh, december we've obviously got the usual mix as well of uh news and uh, we've got the society uh in, in the back of the uh, society news in the back of the magazine we've got book reviews we've got branch news we've got the a new branch in the pakistan division we've got news of our the falcon 2 uh, project on uh on uh, inclusive flight simulation so do check that out uh, new member spotlight. Uh, what have we got coming up in, in uh, upcoming events uh, 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 here? I, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking December is a pretty busy month, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've also got to get a magazine out before Christmas as well, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, busy schedule. I mean, we started on here with the sixth of December with our annual Wilbur and Orville Wright lecture. 120, 120 120th anniversary. Uh, uh, yeah, of Insane. the uh, first flight. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. So that's Air Marshal Johnny Stringer, Deputy Commander and NATO Air Command. Mm. He's going to give a, 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 a tour de force on uh, you know European air power. I think. Oh, well, that's that's going to be a must of attend lecture. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, and then what else we got? We got, got more fun. Yeah, we got uh, our Aero Society Lates, the yeah. um, Aviation Games Night. That's yeah. going to be so fun. This is, is this our first games night? It is. It is, yeah. 11th of December, yeah. and, Friday and you, night. And you've been practicing, haven't you, Bella? You, you're now oh. an AC top gun, top oh, yeah. gun of board game. I'm a pro. <laughs> <laughs> Try beat me. No. <laughs> no, it's going to be really fun. Definitely come along for that 11th of December, as Steve yeah. just said. Yeah, so lots of different aerospace and aviation space-themed board games, flight simulation 
simulator. Group Lego, Con Concord build. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and we've also put a, a paper plane challenge as well. There's something for all, all skill levels, yeah. all ages. Um, 11th of December, Arias HQ. And, and again, open to non-Royal yeah. Aeronautical Society yeah. members, as was the film night, the Battle of Britain film yeah. night. And it was nice to see people coming into this amazing building we've got here in, in, uh, in Mayfair and yeah. seeing the building and, and being part of, of what we do. So yeah, yeah. If, if you would like to come to the Games night, don't worry if you're not a member, you are yeah. more than welcome. Uh, well, I guess for all, uh, all of our events as well, yeah. uh, uh, part of the corporate partner yeah. uh, stuff. Um, <laughs> Uh, then we've got the Amy Johnson lecture, 12th of December, uh, mm -hmm. so that's Julie Garland, Chief Executive Officer, Avtrain, which does drone training. I met Julie out in Dublin um, for the Revolution Aero Conference, yeah. she, she's really interesting, that's going to be, again, another must-see event, so I'll put that one in the calendar as well. Mm -hmm. I might just move down to London, I think. I think you should. <laughs> Uh, and then on, on the 13th of December, we've got Aria's corporate partner at Christmas reception. So obviously that's for our corporate partners. If you or your company is a, uh, a, a, a member of the Royal Aeronautical Society, if not, why not? Um, mm. uh, you know, check in with them and see if they've got you, uh, if they can get you in for a ticket. That should be a good, uh, a good Christmas sort of uh, reception mm. and socialising networking event. Uh, Steve, you're off to Italy, aren't you? In Italy? I am off to Turin um, the week after we're recording this, actually, to the Aerospace and Defence meeting in Turin, uh, where I'm moderating a panel on the so uh, cool. future of end-to-end -end urban air transportation uh, is the name of the uh, the uh, topic that we're discussing. So we've got um, six people from the advanced air mobility market, including the CEO of Fly V-Bird. Um, and it'd be interesting just to see how that conversation evolves over the course of the discussion. So I've got a couple of questions to, uh, to get things going, then we'll throw it open to the audience and, and see what people's views are on mm. urban air mobility and where it goes. And then there's some sessions as well on, on, on military stuff. And military and space, space is actually yeah. a lunar economy um, oh, right. um, session as well. So I'm out there for all three, although I'm just um, moderating one of the forums, I'm there for the three days. So. Oh, We'll uh, come back and um, Can't wait to hear about I'll that. report back on it yeah. next month. But uh, yeah, that's that's a in really interesting one to go to. So I'm looking forward to that in a couple of days in Turin just before Christmas will be very nice. Right, okay. So that is a, a packed December. Uh, obviously, if you want to go and see what's happening around your local branch, check out our mm. online diary. That's where all the uh, uh, Aero Society uh, events are listed. It's constantly updated and you can see what's happening around you, you know, in your local branch uh, and it's going on. And then obviously in, tw in tw February 2020, we've got the next big air show which is Singapore mm. so uh, looking forward to that right so um, rounding up now coming to the end of it what, what have we been watching reading playing uh, aviation related well you go first Tim uh, so right so in, in preparation for uh, preparation for the games night uh, I've also been having a look at uh, short flights and challenges uh, just having some fun there and uh, yeah getting get my eye in you, you, you do know, don't you, that you're not allowed to compete as a member. Yeah, well, yeah. we're going to. It's going to be fun. We're going to pick a challenge there, and, and uh, we're not quite entirely sure yet. It's still, it's still in the but uh, yeah, it'll be some some challenges there for armchair and real pilots to get their teeth into. And this is going to be on the big screen, isn't it's it? It's going to be on the big screen. It's it works, and we're going to have a we're going to have a, a, a Top Gear style leaderboard. Very nice. So uh, so competitive. Competitive flights and challenges and alcohol. What could go wrong? <laughs> what could go what wrong? Could go wrong? <laughs> Steve, what about you? Um, 
I was talking to a, a friend of mine recently who claimed to be an aviation enthusiast, but had never seen the Rocketeer. So you say so, that, but then I haven't even seen it. <laughs> uh, but it was recorded in 1991. Okay. You might be a bit... I may be... But I watch old movies. Oh, that's all right then. Uh, so, Rocketeer... Yes. Tim, I mean, I was 16 when this came out in 91. I remember going to the cinema to watch this. Sold on it, the fact that it had got 1930s air races in it. But um, so the Rocketeer story of somebody who discovers jetpack. Yeah. Um, so you've got Jennifer Connolly, Timothy Dalton, all star Ooh, cast. Okay. Uh, Airships, air racers. BG. Uh, yeah, GB uh, racers uh, and uh, Laird Super BG. Solutions and. Um, yeah, and a lot of those repli- those replicas were actually built for the film. Yeah, and I think Kermit Wicks has got a lot of them now. They're in the, they're all still in existence at various museums and are flying around the world. But that you know me, Tim. You know I've got this thing on thirties aviation, and yeah, the, the, if it looks right, it flies right. Yeah. yeah, if it's anything that's it almost looks like a piece of flying Clarice Cliff Art Deco yeah, artwork. Yeah, yeah. That was what this film. Yeah, that's what sold me on the film. Mm. And, uh, Speaking of older. Films. Oh yes. I don't have much to update on. Why are you looking on. at me? No, because you were talking. Because I'm older. No, no, no. Speaking of it, I don't have much to update. I'm still reading my SpaceX book, um, so watch this space. I'll eventually finish. But, but I was thinking. I was talking to you, Tim, at Dubai, and we were talking about all the movies that I have not seen that are, you know, aviation space related. And I was thinking, I need to have a movie marathon that goes over a time and then update the podcast every time I watch something. Mm, yeah. Because you guys mentioned movies and I'm embarrassed that I'm like, oh, I haven't even heard of that. <laughs> uh, so I think the first one's going to be Battle of Britain because embarrassingly I haven't seen it. Mm. So I will update you guys when Battle I... Battle of Britain, Dan Busters. Please tell me you've seen Top Gun. Of course I... I both I, of yeah, them. Both of them. Yeah, I saw the first one first. The right stuff. 633 Squadron... All right, so, <laughs> so this, is, this is a challenge to our listeners here. Please send your your send your recommendations. Send your recommendations. Tweet uh, Bella at Arias Bella R. To to films, aviation or aviation space films she needs to see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Brilliant. Okay. So far, we're, we're rounding up now. So uh, finally, where can people keep up to date with Arias and the Mag? We've already said, uh, Steve. Uh, yeah, so we're aerosociety.com. You can see our insight blog online there. Uh, on social media, I'm at RAS Steve B on X. And uh, also Stephen with a PH, Stephen Bridgewater on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, quite, quite a lot of traction on LinkedIn recently. So mm. um, good to connect with um, some more of our members and fellows and listeners on LinkedIn. Yeah. And Bella? I'm on RAS Bella R on X. Um, and also, where our podcast is now on Spotify, right? Oh, yeah, we're now on Spotify. Yeah, so. If you're listening to it on this on Spotify, hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely check us out on Spotify if you, if you like listening to Spotify. Um, but yeah, that's me on X, Tim. Uh, and I'm RAS Tim R, still, uh, still tweeting, posting on it on X. <laughs> uh, I'm also on uh, Blue Sky as well. And uh, yeah, you can you know, go to aerosociety.com and look us up there. Uh, and, and, and finally, I'd just like to say, uh, you know, we're, we're welcome for uh, questions, feedback, uh, you know, uh, comments. Are you enjoying the podcast? Are you, do uh, what would you like to see in the future? Mm. Uh, do send them our way. Uh, but we'll until then, we will see you uh, next time. Bye, guys. See you guys. Goodbye from me. Goodbye. Bye.